Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I am very, very glad to be here. Want to uh, welcome everybody, especially those joining us online. We wish you were here. We wish you were here with us because, uh, man, it's just something great about being together. And uh, hopefully you guys join us online. Hopefully you'll be able to join us here soon in person. Um, we love you guys. Very, very glad that you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. Um, you are here on a very special Sunday. Today is our 14th anniversary. We are, uh, we, we have, I, I was reflecting on this earlier. We have um, basically been two, through two of the worst events uh, in the last 100 years, here in these 14 years. We planned in the middle of the 20, 2008 recession, the Great Recession, and we weathered uh, COVID, uh, the, the pandemic. And, and, the, and the, in our 14 years, we've had that. And God has blessed us and he has sustained us. And here we are, y'all. Here we are. Isn't it amazing? I, say, I think God needs a round of applause for his faithfulness. Yes. Absolutely. Now we are 14, so uh, we do need to get a few things in the way. You know, uh, uh, being 14 years old, I need uh, everybody's best scowl. You know, I need I need everybody roll your eyes. Everybody roll your eyes and let an exasperated sigh. You know, roll your eyes. Uh, everybody say that's lame. That's lame. You know. Okay, so we're, we're 14 years old. Excellent. Very good. Uh, we are teenagers. We're entering our first year of high school, and uh, we are that as a church. Isn't that amazing? Uh, so anyway, if you are visiting with us, please uh, make sure that you scan our app and, uh, and, and check in and let us know that you're here. We definitely want to, uh, if you want to follow along with the outline, you can do that. Uh, if, you follow, if you scan that app, you can go to, the, uh, go to our outline, which is online. All right, so today, the main thing is this, a great commitment to the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment will make a great church, okay? So uh, we create ourselves, you guys, a great commitment. We're going to walk through that. A great commitment to the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment makes a great church. Well, the first thing is that is a great commitment. Well, a, what is a commitment? What do we need to do as a church? We're looking back on our 14th anniversary, looking 14 years. What do we need to do? to continue to do that. Well, we need to commit ourselves. What does it mean to commit? Well, I've long believed that we as people are the sum total of the commitments that we make. People say, well, I want to go find myself. You, well, you can't find yourself. There's no self waiting to be found. You create yourself in what you commit yourself to. Okay? We aren't what we say we are. We aren't what we hope we are. We aren't what we are on our best day. We aren't what we are on our worst day. We are only what we commit ourselves to. And, and in the life of a believer, you are what you commit yourself to. And, and our first commitment as believers is to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. We say, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to do that today. You need to do that today. I don't know why you're here and you haven't done that. You need to commit yourself to Jesus Christ. Okay? And you say, well, how will I know if I'm committed? Well, it's the difference between ham and eggs. Okay, if you eat ham and eggs, the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. Okay, there's a difference. The chicken was involved. The pig was committed. So the, the, the chicken gave a little, but the pig sacrificed. So I guess the question in here is, are we chickens or are we pigs? 
Maybe not the best analogy. Let's go for another one here. All right, here's, here's maybe this will sit better with everyone here, okay? Uh, there are two types of people that saw the moon. Now, there are plenty of scientists that looked at the moon through a telescope, but Neil Armstrong went and walked on the moon. The scientists were involved. Neil Armstrong was committed. So the question is, are we scientists or are we astronauts? My favorite story of all time, this is my favorite story, and I've been telling it for 20 years and I'll continue to tell it for the next 20 years, is the story of the tightrope walker, Blondin, because this describes the kind of believer I want to be. See, the greatest tightrope walker of all time was a guy named Blondin at the turn of the century, the, the 1900s. He strung a tightrope across Niagara Falls from the Canadian side to the United States side. And a crowd of about 10,000 people gathered on either side of, uh, of, of Niagara Falls and watched Blondin walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. That's dangerous. And as he jumped down on the United States side, the crowd went wild. And he said, I am Blondin. He had a big ego rush. And he said, I'm going back across. You think I can do it? And everybody goes, yeah, we think you can do it. He goes, well, I'm taking somebody with me on my shoulders. You think I can do that? And they go, yeah. I guess, who's it going to be? Dead silence. Finally, one guy said, well, I'll, I'll do it. Turns out it was his business manager. Saw a bad thing, thing, good thing going bad. So he got up on Blondin's shoulders, and the crowd of 10,000 people watched as Blondin and this guy on his shoulders inch their way back across to the Canadian side. See, there are 10,000 people that were involved, but only one guy was really committed. Okay? There's a difference between being involved in our faith and being committed to our faith. There's, there's a big difference between believing in Jesus Christ and being committed to Jesus Christ. In the same way, we have many believers in the body of Christ, but few disciples. We have many people involved, but few are committed. See, the problem, the reason why so many of us are struggling in life, the problem that we have problems in life is because we can't commit our thing, ourselves to the things we know we need to commit ourselves to. We can't commit ourselves to coming to church on Sunday morning. We can't commit ourselves to prayer. We can't commit ourselves to our Lord and Savior. We can't commit ourselves to doing what Jesus wants us to do. We can't commit ourselves to the path that he lays out for us, and that's why we're struggling. That's why we're lost, because we cannot find ourselves. We create ourselves in what we commit ourselves to. And we are, you are, the sum total of your commitments. That's what your life is. And if you're not committed to anything, you have no life. If your commitments are zero, you have zero. So we have to find ourselves. So we have to find what is worth committing to and committing ourselves to it. And if you commit yourself to Christ, you commit yourself to his purposes for you, you commit yourself to your family, etc. that's who you are. So we as a church, we as a church are going to be the sum total of the things we commit ourselves to. That's why it's so important to know what you're committing yourself to. So we as a church, what are we committed to? Well, this is the main thing, a great commitment to the, great, the great, uh, greatest commandment and the great commission. The first thing that we commit ourselves to is the greatest commandment. Jesus said it in, in Mark 12, 28 through 31. He said this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Notice that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important. 
bottom line kind of guy. I'm a bottom line kind of guy. I probably would ask Jesus that. I, I, I don't want all the fluff, man. Give me the bottom line. And he says this. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus said, I'm going to sum up the whole Bible. Love God, love people. That's it. And guys, we as a church are committing ourselves to that. And it sounds simple. It is very simple. Love God, love people. But there's a big difference between simple and easy, isn't there? It's simple to understand that we're supposed to love God and love people. But is that easy? No, it's not easy. To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength means this. To love God with all your heart, everything you feel. To love God with all your soul means everything you believe. To love God with everything with your mind means everything you think. And to love God with all your strength is everything you do. So that means to love God with your entire life. Your entire life is focused on loving God. Everything you think, everything you believe, everything you, you feel, everything you do is based on loving God. That's what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's simple, isn't it? But it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. See, guys, I don't ever ask people, do you believe in God? That may be the dumbest question that anyone ever asks. It doesn't mean anything. The real question is, people, do you love God? Do you love him? Do you love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's the question we have to ask ourselves as a church, not do you believe in God? I'm sure most people do. But there's a big difference between knowing, believing in God and loving God. And the second question is this. Second thing that he says after loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, he said, love your neighbors yourself. I happen to believe that that is as much an observation as it is a command. I've noticed when it said love your neighbor as you love yourself, most people do exactly that. Most people love people to the extent that they love themselves. You can always tell someone who hates themselves. You can always tell someone who has issues with themselves because they can't find any love for anyone else around them. You find a bitter or a judgmental or a harsh person, you know that person and hates themselves because people who love themselves as God wants us to love, people who love themselves as God loves them, don't, they're not bitter and they're not angry and they're not, they're, they're not these mean, awful people. We tend to love people as much as we love ourselves. Don't forget that there is actually three commands there. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. God commands you to love yourself. He commands you to do that not in an ego, arrogant type way, but to realize that you are his creation. You were made in his image, and God doesn't make junk. Love God, love people. We'll talk about these more in just a minute. This is the greatest command. We need a great commitment to loving God and loving people as we start year 15 of our church. The second thing that we commit ourselves to is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I mean, you guys could probably say it by memory by now because I talk about it all the time. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. People here last week, y'all, a lot of y'all were here last week, say, Dave, you preached on that last week. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And, and plenty of weeks before that. Why? Well, a new preacher came to town, preached his first sermon, 
preached on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And everybody stood up, said amen, clapped their hands, and, and, and man, they, they were just into it, wonderful. They went out talking about how great the new preacher was. Next Sunday, comes in, preached on Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Didn't get as many amens that time. Next week, same thing, preached the exact same sermon. Next week, exact same sermon. So after four weeks, the head of the elders went to the preacher and said, hey, hey, you know, preacher, we, we, we like what you're saying, but you've preached the same message four Sundays in a row. What's going on? He goes, well, as soon as you guys start living that one, I'll preach another one. Yeah. So guys, if everyone wants me to stop preaching about the Great Commission, it's really easy, y'all. Everyone commit to making disciples. Everyone. Everyone who's a mature believer in Christ. Find someone that's not a Christian or is not maybe a brand new believer and say, hey, I'm gonna invest in you. I wanna teach you everything I know about Jesus Christ. That's the way disciples are made. That's the way the body of Christ grows. That's what we're supposed to do, all right? And then I'll talk about something else. Until then, guys, you're gonna be hearing about the Great Commission an awful lot because we have a great commitment to it. We will make ourselves as a church into a great commission church if we commit ourselves to the great commission. See, we make ourselves into what we commit ourselves to. So we have a great commitment to the greatest commandment, to love God and love people, and to, uh, and to the great commission. So the results of that, number four, results of great commitment, the great commission, the greatest commandment. This is what's gonna happen in our church, in our lives, if we commit ourselves to those things. For number one is an unlimited love for God. We're gonna be a church with an unlimited love for God. I wanna ask you parents, is there a limit to the love you have for your children? Is there a limit? I see some of your parents go, yeah. No, no, I'm not talking about you all. I'm not like, like normal parents. Is there, is, is there functional parents? Is there a limit to the love you have for your children? Absolutely not. There's no limit. There's no way that we could ever run out of love. God has given us an infinite capacity for love. So guys, if we commit ourselves to the Great Commission, to the great commission and the Greatest Commandment, we will have an unlimited love for God. 1 John 5, 2-4 says this, this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. What does someone who loves God with a heart, soul, mind, and strength look like? What does a church that loves God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength look like? Well, when you're in love, you do crazy things. Not because you have to, because you want to. When Rachel and I were first married, newlyweds, 22 years old, just out of college, starting our life together, I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, and she was uh, working uh, as, as a nurse on the night shift, bottom of the totem pole, you get the night shift on the med surge unit. And she got lunch between 1.30 and 2.30 in the morning. That's about the time she got lunch. So what did I do? Well, I was in love, I was smitten. So I got up at midnight, and I made lunch for us, and I drove from Nicholasville, where we lived at the time, to St. Joe on Harrisburg Road. And we had lunch at 1.30 to 2.30 in the morning. That's crazy. I had full day of classes the next day. I had to work, everything. That's crazy. Well, you do crazy things when you're in love. It wasn't a chore. Rachel didn't command me to do that. I did that because I wanted to be with her, because I loved her. You, you do crazy things when you're in love, seriously. 
When you love God, you do crazy things. You make radical changes in your life, changes that you know please him because you love him. Changes, you start living by biblical sexuality, celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage. You do crazy things like that. People that make the, make the, the world go, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> I just love God too much, man. Just the way it is. You do crazy things like you, know, you start living, uh, you, you start using vacation time to take mission trips. I mean, instead of going and, 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 and going to whatever, you go on mission trips and you serve the people of God and you bring the gospel to people that don't have it and you love on orphans and everything. People think that's crazy. Of course it's crazy because I'm in love. I do crazy things when I'm in love. You do crazy things like you change your reading habits and your movie habits and your music habits and everything. I mean, crazy stuff, people, when you're in love. And no one has to tell you to do it. No one has to tell you. No one has to mandate you. No one even has to check up on you. You do it because you love God. And that's what happens when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and unlimited love for God. You know, I've seen people become Christians a lot. And there's something really puzzling to me about it. Maybe you've seen this too. Like they, they, they are lost, and then they become saved. They get in the baptistry and everything like that. And, and, and then like the next day, there's like nothing different about them. And like a week later, there's nothing different about them. A month later, there's nothing different about them. They're the same person. Got the same mouth, got the same attitude, same everything. And that, that, that's that's kind of crazy to me. I don't, I don't get that. It's kind of like if I got this perfect cup of coffee, okay, and let's say that this is not just any cup of coffee. Let's say that this is super coffee, and this coffee will allow middle-aged, overweight, unathletic guys like me to dunk a basketball, okay? Let's say that guys with T-Rex arms like me who, can't get, who couldn't get rim when I was in my 20s, now all of a sudden in my 40s, I will be able to dunk a basketball, okay? And let's say that I drink this, and I go out, and I miss, I can't dunk, I can't even get my hand above the rim. What would you conclude about super coffee? That it's not worth much. Well, that's exactly what happens when you become a follower of Jesus Christ and nothing changes. You become a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're still living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Uh, you, you're, 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 you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but man, alcohol gets your best time on Friday and Saturday night. You, you, you become a follower of Jesus Christ, but man, you are such a, a drama-filled person. At, you, you, you spread gossip and you create factions at your place of work. What are people going to conclude? Well, that Jesus ain't much. Because there's certainly one year, the exact same person you were. Well, when you come to Christ and you commit to him and you look no different, like I said, the same patterns, the same mouth, same attitude, same actions, the world concludes that Jesus just ain't all that. This church continue to preach, love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength because we don't want people saying that about us. Well, how about a catalyst? Has your love for God changed you? 
Has your love for God actually moved you to do things differently? Because if not, if you're the same broken, rebellious person that you were before God entered your life, I say God hasn't entered your life, okay? Because I happen to know that God is all that. And when he is here, everything changes. Not because of fear or judgment, but because of love. You know, people read 1 John 5, 2 through 4 and say, oh, so if you become a Christian, you have to do what God says. So this is love for God to carry out his commands. Well, that, that, so you have to do stuff as a checklist. Well, people that say that don't understand what it means to be in love. All right, if I had a checklist of things I had to do in marriage, if, if, if I had a checklist, like a list of things that every single day I had to do to make sure that I was a good husband, that means I don't understand what it means to be a husband. Let's, say, let's go through the checklist. Let's, hear. let's see, spend 30 minutes talking. Okay, we did that, check. Um, hold her hand. I haven't done that yet. I better do that. Um, say, I love you. Okay, I love you. Okay, check. Uh, fix dinner. Uh, I, I, I can do that. I can fix dinner. Uh, sit on the couch next, sit on the couch next to her. Check. I guess I'll do that. See, all those things are good, but you don't do those things because you're commanded. You do those things because you're in love. You don't have to be told to do those things. You do them naturally because that's what love for God is. They said people who love God do crazy things. So my question is, what's the crazy thing that you have done, changed, because you're in love with God? That's the question. When we commit ourselves to the great commission, the great commandment, we'll have an unlimited love for God. The second thing we're going to have is we're going to be an oasis for our community. An oasis for our community. First John 4, 20 through 21 says this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Remember, the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is not either or. You can't say, okay, well, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But people, eh, ain't happening. Can't do that. Jesus didn't give us that option. He didn't give us that option, people, to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to love God, but, you know, the people, not so much. I've been around people. I know people. Well, I have too. I've been around people for 48 years. And I've met, just like you, I've met some horrible, awful, terrible people, just like you. I've been lied about. I've been slandered. I've been lied to. I've been double-crossed. I've been cheated on. I mean, in my life, yeah, I, I, I understand. So have you. But I'm still here. I'm still here. And you know what? I will tell you this, that not only have I met those people, but I've also met wonderful people. I've met people of integrity. I've met people that have forgiven me for things that I wouldn't forgive myself for. I've met people that are so encouraging and so loving and so wonderful and so forgiving and so joyful that had I withdrawn from people, I would have missed out on the biggest blessing of my life. And I'll tell you this, you know where I found most of those people? 
in the church. I have never in my life met a group of people that is more kind, loving, forgiving, accepting as I have in the church. I mean, think about it. Just think about who we like, church. If someone was to get up here on stage and say, you guys, I was a mass murderer, but in prison, I gave my life to Jesus Christ, what would we do? Would we exit? No, what would we do? You know exactly what we would do. We would clap and cheer. We are the only people in the world that loves mass murderers. Think about it. We're the only people that love when people get their lives together and give it to Jesus Christ. And the worse you were, the more we love you. Think about how crazy that is, church. I don't know any other group of people that celebrates like that. That is who we are. And when the world out there understands that that's who we are, that the more awful you were, the more we love you, <laughs> What an oasis. We're the only group of people that accepts people without judgment in a world that always judges people. Don't tell me this world is not judgmental. This world is judgmental. And they've been lying about the church, saying the church is judgmental too. I have not seen that. The ch churches I've been in, the people I've met in the church have been the most wonderful, accepting, caring, loving people I've ever met in my life. Yeah, I've met some nasty people. Yes, I have. So have you. But the most wonderful people I've ever met have been in the church. And when we commit ourselves to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, this will be an oasis in central Kentucky where people are getting slaughtered out there relationally, socially, uh, mentally, come in here and just be loved. That's what happens. Third thing that happens when we commit ourselves, make a great commitment to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission is this. They call it the ripple effect. The ripple effect. Acts 4, 1 through 4. This, the, Acts, the early part is the, is the church getting together. The church was exploding when the Holy Spirit hit at Pentecost. It says this, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John. Peter and John were two of Jesus' disciples, and they were preaching and winning people to Christ right and left. So the powers that be didn't like that. So this was going on here. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So this is within a few days after Pentecost. This is like maybe two months, three months after Jesus died. There are already 5,000 people. There are already 5,000, well, that's just men, they counted the men, probably 15,000, 20,000 actual Christians. It was just, a, just within the first few months of, of the Holy Spirit arriving at Pentecost. You know, one of my earliest memories of the extended family was a Kibler family reunion in, when I was a kid, 1981. Uh, my great-grandmother, the matriarch of the family, great-grandmother Kibler, tough lady, didn't mess with her. She was convinced that this was the year she was going to die. This had happened like five times before, too. This is the last one, and I want everybody here. It, apparently, it happened in 1977, maybe 1970, but this was the year she was going to die. So the whole Kibler family got together in a camp in, uh, in North Carolina. I remember the first night at dinner time. We gathered around all 70-plus Kibblers, holding hands, and she led the family in prayer. 
Now, I'd seen people lead families in prayer before. That wasn't anything new. But I remember this. I was seven years old. It's 41 years later. I remember her looking up. It's not down. She was looking up. The first time I'd ever seen someone pray looking up. It's like, what? Don't ask me why my head wasn't bad, my eyes were, okay, I wasn't a good kid, okay? But, but I was looking, and I, walked, and I was like, so, she's looking up. I thought people bowed their heads and closed their eyes, but she had her eyes open, she's looking up. And, I, and, and she prayed this prayer over her family and over the meal. And I, she didn't use any flowery language, she didn't use any big phrases, she didn't use any deep theological concepts. She just talked to God like she talked to him every day of her life, like he was somebody she was looking forward to speaking to. It was amazing. And even though I was barely seven years old, I remember thinking there's something amazing between her and God. How does she know how to pray? How did she know how to do that? Well, maybe her mother father, someone in her past, shared the gospel with her. Someone had shared the gospel with them. And before that, and before that, and I think about a thousand generations or a hundred generations back, what if somebody had said this, you know what, I'm good. I'm not going to share. I'm not going to pass on the faith. I'm going to kind of do my own little thing at home. I'm just going to kind of keep to myself, not bother anybody. Think about how that line would have been broken. Think about that. My ancestors are from Europe. I don't know where your ancestors are from. But the first killer showed up right after uh, the American Revolution. Probably was a Hessian soldier from Germany. So my ancestors are from Europe. You understand that Jesus didn't live in Europe. You know that Jesus didn't live in America. You know Jesus is not American, right? You know that? Okay. You know that Jesus lived in Israel, which is all the way on the other side of the world. Well, how did the gospel get to my ancestors? How did the gospel get to Europe? How did the gospel get to wherever your ancestors are from? How did the gospel get to Africa? How did the gospel get to Asia? How did it happen? It's because people had a great commitment to the greatest commission, great commission and the great commandment. See, you all, you all know what Europeans were like before the gospel? Any idea what Europeans were like? They were some of the worst people that ever lived on the face of the planet. Apparently, my illustrious co-worker, John Kelly, did a genealogy study, and apparently one of his distant ancestors before the gospel was a king. When he would conquer people, he would eat them. So that's John Kelly's distinguished lineage before the gospel, Okay. That's what happens. And now his great, great, great descendant is a minister leading people to Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. Okay? The ripple effect. Do you all, are we so short-sighted to think that you and I are going to be the last generation on this planet? Are we so short-sighted to see that we are not, to not see that we're part of a chain that has been going on for 2,000 years, unbroken, gospel, gospel, gospel to generation, gospel, gospel, gospel. And is it going to stop with us? No, it's not going to stop with us. The ripple effect. 
Here I am in 2022 speaking about my great-grandmother four generations ago, talking about that prayer that I remember and the, the, the amazing thing she had between her and God. What is going to happen four generations from now? Is there going to be some descendant of mine that's going to say, you know, Grandpa Dave, man, I'm a Christian because of him. I want you to ask yourself that. Four generations from now, what is your family going to be saying about you? What is it going to be saying? Are they going to be saying, man, if it wasn't for great-grandfather, great-grandmother, my life would actually be pretty good? Great-granddad was a drunk. Great-grandmother was a uh, whatever. They, they, they messed up, and, and now I'm dealing with the consequences. Or will they say, the blessing of the gospel, the blessing of, 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 my, of my ancestors is blessing me today. See, the ripple effect happens when we commit ourselves to that. I'm the beneficiary of my great-grandmother and hundreds more who discipled me and spoke Jesus into my life. That's not the question. Like I said, the question is, will anyone be saying that about you? That's the question. See, in Jerusalem, the number of Christians had grown to 5,000, number of men. Jesus didn't preach to all of them. It was the work of the disciples took the gospel and passed it on. And we've been given that same commission. As a church, we must keep rippling and rippling and rippling. We're a fortress in the midst of hostile territory where people can be saved. We're a lifeboat in the midst of a sea where there's been a shipwreck and we're called to save people out of it. That's what we are. We must never forget that. And the last thing is a great legacy. If we have a great commitment to the greatest, greatest commandment, the great commission, we're gonna have a great legacy. Acts 11, 22 to 24, there's a man named Barnabas. Barnabas means encourager. And the scriptures has this say, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem about the explosion of the, of the church. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw, the, what, saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord and with all their hearts. Then it says this, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. If I got one Footnote in history, I'd want it to be that. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and because of him, many were brought to the Lord. My question, church, as we start year 15 of our ministry, of our existence, of our church family, what legacy will we leave? What legacy will you leave? Will we get a footnote? Catalyst Christian Church was a good church, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and because of them, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That's the question. Or will we simply be a social club full of people who show up when they want, give a little when they want, complain, argue, yell at each other? I've seen churches like that. This isn't one of those, but I'm not foolish enough to think we couldn't become that if we lose our commitment to the great commission and the greatest commandment to invite the band to come on back up. The question of legacy. If I only got one footnote in a history book, that's what I would want. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Right now, I want you to ask yourself what you're committing yourself to. 
and I don't care what you say you committed yourself to, I wanna look at what gets your time, what gets your money, what gets your attention, what gets your passion. That's what you're committed to. You know that not one of those commitments will outlive you except your commitment to Jesus Christ. The only commitment that you make today that will matter in 100 years is your commitment to Jesus Christ and his purposes for you. So maybe right now, you're looking and you're like, man, there's, there's some conviction on me. The Holy Spirit's really beating me up here. I'm committed to all the wrong things. Well, the reason your life is the way it is because you're committed to the wrong things. Well, here is a chance to change that, to get rid of those purposeless and wasteful commitments and commit to things that will create you into the person that God wants you to be. First commitment is to Jesus Christ. Have you been baptized? If you've never been baptized, guess what next Sunday is? Easter Sunday. If you've never been baptized, I'm telling you, let's do it next week. Call me, talk to me. If you've never made that decision, never made the commitment, I want you to do it now, All right? Second thing, if you've never committed <coughs> to discipleship, to actually growing, if you've been baptized, but you know, you've been kind of hanging out, no, no, no. Let's commit to going deeper and find a Christian that knows more than you. Find a Christian that's further along the walk and say, hey, man, I want you to disciple me. I want to meet with you. I want to learn everything you know. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to study the scriptures. Teach me how to, how to serve. They'll do it. Commitments. You are the sum total of what you commit yourself to. Make sure you're making the right commitments. For 14 years, I, I, I believe that we as a church have committed to the right things. We're going to continue to do that. I'm just so glad you guys are a part. Why don't you guys stand up and let's celebrate. Love you all so much.